Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for providing my every need and giving me the strength to make it through. I pray that I listen for your voice today and cast all my worries on you. Help me to see others through your eyes and notice the opportunities you have for me. Let me love others as you do, forgive and let be. Please take away the anxiety and stress that I may trust and rely on you and rest. In every moment of every day, may I open my heart to you and pray, asking you not only to meet my needs, but how I'll serve as the Spirit intercedes. Thank you for being with me, even in my darkest days, and forgiving me for wronging you in so many ways. Help me to pray, for better or worse, but most importantly, to always pray first. Well, I cannot tell you how excited I am that you are here today, whether you're here in Bellingham or you're joining us in Skagit and Boca Raton, or those of you uh, watching online at the live stream right now, very excited for where, uh, what today uh, embarks for us. Uh, but before I get into that, I feel like it's necessary that I address two events that took place last Sunday, one of which was something that I was publicly very vocal about regarding my lack of enthusiasm for, even using, I think, the phrase worthless game. And I just need to have some confession time. I watched the game, and I surprised myself at how emotionally involved I got with the game, rooting for a team that I've never followed or cheered for or knew any of the players on, at one point even jumping off my couch, screaming and high-fiving. And one of the other individuals who was watching the game looked over me and he said, I thought you weren't into this. So I just felt like I needed to come clean with that uh, before you uh, today, before we got going on this. The other event that uh, was not nearly uh, as broadcast nationally, and you, most of you are not even aware of it, um, our Skagit campus is aware of it, is that last Sunday at our uh, Cornwall Skagit campus, after the service, when our congregation was uh, being released, there were three um, individuals with picket signs protesting on the sidewalk outside of our Skagit campus. Now, in all fairness, because I've talked to one of these um, individuals, they would not say that they were picketing and protesting. And, and I'm, I'm not being facetious here. They would say they were holding banners and they were street preaching. So I want to be fair to them. But the reason they were there is because of a conversation I had had with one of them the week before. And under the... Um, I was led to believe by some things that this individual said on the phone to me, that they um, were going to a small church in Cedar Woolley, a church that didn't have a lot of young families, and while they didn't see themselves as church shoppers, they kind of wanted to see what their options were. And I'm thinking, our church in Skagit has a lot of young families. This might be a good fit. We're not looking to steal sheep from other flocks, but I understand that, wanting to have your kids. But it was interesting as we talked, he didn't really want to hear about our children's ministry or the curriculum or how we screen our volunteers for our children's ministry. He really wanted to know where we stood as a church on one topic, and that topic had to be, happened to be uh, homosexuality. And so as we began to talk, and we talked about a lot of things, um, because um, that's how this conversation went, in one of, the, one of the questions that he asked me, I gave him an answer that either was not the answer he was looking for or exactly the answer he was looking for, 
and it prompted him to come with his seven-year-old son and another friend of his to bring their banners and to preach on the sidewalk. So I want you to hear, and if you hear about this, and Skagit especially, I take full responsibility for what happened last week. That was all on me. It was a conversation that I had. It was the answer that I gave. And it seemed like, as he was doing his street preaching there, um, and I have actually seen a recording of it, that he was quoting me, using my name, quoting me. And so again, I will own that. And one of the biggest issues that he had was in the discussion when he asked me this question, are homosexuals welcome at Cornwall Church? Now, I just want to ask this. I want to ask for you to hear directly from me clarity on that question. I don't want you to hear it secondhand on Facebook or from some street preacher. And this is what I'd also ask. If you hear this on the web, uh, on on the, the podcast, or if you're watching this online, or if you get a CD of this, would you, if you so choose to quote me, would you please quote me in the entirety of what I'm about to say? I ask for your own integrity and for the sake of just decency, that you don't cherry-pick portions of this for your purposes. That's all I ask. For those of you who are here or watching online or watching this um, live stream, I would ask that you would hear me all the way out before you either A, leave, two, boo, three, throw something, or turn me off, okay? So hear me all the way out, let me speak my piece, and then you're free to leave, you're free to yell, you're free to email, whatever. So here's the quote that I want to be quoted as. Ready? Begin quote. I am Bob Marvel, and by the grace of Jesus Christ, and only by the grace of Jesus Christ, I have been given the privilege to be the shepherd of the flock entrusted to my care called Cornwall Church. And this is a sacred responsibility that I take very, very seriously because one day I will answer to the chief shepherd. And with that said, I speak for myself and as best as I can for Cornwall Church to this question, are homosexuals welcome at Cornwall Church? Homosexuals are welcome at Cornwall Church as are heterosexuals. And to quote the Bible, so are tax collectors and sinners. And while we're talking about tax collectors and sinners, so are Republicans And Democrats, people who come from a more of a traditional mindset, people who are more liberal in their mindset, people who are more conservative, people who are more progressive are welcome at Cornwall Church. Catholics are welcome at Cornwall Church. Protestants are welcome at Cornwall Church. Mormons are. Sikhs are welcome at Cornwall Church. People who are seeking, people who are agnostic, people who are doubters, people who are atheists are welcome at Cornwall Church. Alcoholics are welcome at Cornwall Church. Drug addicts are welcome at Cornwall Church. Felons, convicts, and cat lovers are welcome at Cornwall Church. And did I mention the P list? The P list, which includes but is not limited to prostitutes, politicians, preachers, and patriot fans are welcome at Cornwall Church. And one more, and hear me out on this one, even picketing protesters are welcome at Cornwall Church. We would ask that you leave your banner in your car so as to not be disruptive. And the reason why is that we believe Jesus Christ loves every single individual 
and that we believe that every single individual would be way better off with Jesus in their life. And we want this place, this church, to be a place where people can experience the love of Jesus, be saved by the grace of Jesus, be filled with the spirit of Jesus, be transformed by the truth of Jesus, begin to obey the commands of Jesus, and join the mission of Jesus all to the glory of God the Father. The Father did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You are welcome. You're welcome. End of quote. Now, you can quote me on that, but please quote me in its entirety. With that, I would ask, if you are physically able, would you stand with me this morning, and would you bow your head? Jesus, we recognize that apart from your grace, there is not one of us who could be here today. And we stand with a physical posture that reflects our inner reality of of honor and respect to our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And we bow our heads not in shame, but in humility and gratitude for what you've done for us. And I pray that we, your people, who have experienced nothing but grace and truth from you, would be people who would always extend grace and always proclaim truth. And that people, no matter where they are in their journey, no matter where they are in their belief, no matter where they are in their life, could come here and take next steps back to the Father who loves them so much. And that we would all be growing rich toward the things of God. So Jesus, today, would you ignite our passion for you, for your word, and for the world that you gave your life for, and for the life that you've called us to. We pray it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as I mentioned, I am very excited that you're here today because we're excited about what God is doing in our midst. And if you've been around, you've heard me talk about this. Last summer, there was this stirring. It was an undeniable stirring from the Holy Spirit. And in the first week of September, when I gave my reflections back in the 30 years I've been at this church and talking about the last 25 as senior pastor, reflecting back that we are not the praying church that we once were. And then again, I addressed it in January, the, the, the first time I preached in January, talking about what we're going to be doing. And today is when we launch that off with this series called Pray First. And the reason I'm so excited that you're here is because you're on the, on, the, on the ground level of what we believe is going to be not only the emphasis for us, but a, a really a, a game changer for us as individuals and as a church. And as we start this series, it's not just sermons on the weekend. I mean, there's that, but there's also some things that you're going to be invited to engage in on a, on a, on a level with, collectively as the church 
There's some things that if you're in a small group that you can do as a small group. There's some things if you have a family with children that our Explorers League are making available to you. There are things that as an individual follower, we're hoping that you will take this not just on the weekends, but on a daily basis and have it become just immersed as part of who you are, of who we are. But on the weekend services between now and Easter for these next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. And this, this series on prayer is different than any series I've ever done on prayer. Because in these seven weeks, we are going to be looking at men and women throughout the Old and New Testament, and we're going to be looking at them as prayers and look at their prayers. Because I think when we see how other people have prayed, it will help us understand. It will give us a window into maybe how we can pray, how we can grow in our prayer, the, the, the depth of prayer, those specifics of prayer. And so we're going to look at different individuals, a different one every single week. And it would seem like in a series like this, it, the place to start would be with Jesus. I mean, that makes perfect sense. But we're not going to. I'm going to end the series with Jesus on Palm Sunday, and we're already working on that sermon, and it's going to be unique. And I'm just telling you, I'm so pumped about that sermon, but that's seven weeks from now. So let's talk about today. The individual I want to start this series with that I want us to look at is one that if you're in any time at all in church world, you've heard this individual referenced. If you've uh, done any reading of Scripture in the New Testament, you're very familiar with this individual. And this individual is well known because... In his life, he was a staunch, devout Jewish Pharisee and a leader amongst Pharisees. And then this individual had a dramatic, and that is not an over, overstatement, he had a dramatic conversion experience to become a follower after Jesus Christ. And on the heels of that, he became one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest, greatest theologians who ever lived. And not only that, but he took these, these journeys when he would plant churches and go into foreign countries and, and spread the gospel beyond the, the realm of Judaism to the Gentiles. And he would write these books. Thirteen of the documents that comprise our New Testament, we refer to them as books, they're really letters, thirteen of them he wrote. He's known for all of these things. But what he's very rarely thought of is like a prayer warrior. But today I want us to look at Paul, the prayer. And so often, all of his other strengths, all of his other accomplishments overshadow the fact that he was an amazing man of prayer. We see it throughout his writings. We see it throughout his, his life. As he writes to the church in Rome, he writes this, this thing that we refer to as Romans. He gives this little phrase in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, when he says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer which has a real nice cadence to it. And if you're ever in a situation where someone says, hey, could you preach? This is a great little three-point outline. You can put this together with very little thought. There you go. Now you've got a sermon ready to preach anytime. Ready? Okay, that's not what I'm preaching about. But this is a little phrase. This wasn't just a little catchy slogan that he came up with. It wasn't just an instruction for the people in Rome. This is how he lived his life. And the first two little clauses of this, he's more, we're more familiar with for him. I mean, joyful in hope. The whole book of Philippians is a book about joy. We know about, about Paul and his joy and hope. When we did the Hope series last fall, the vast majority of scriptures we looked at were written by him. So we get that. That's how he lived. And patient in affliction. I mean, he reminds us in Galatians that part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, and he tells the church in Corinth about his afflictions, about the hardships he went through, and the thorn in the flesh. But this faithful in prayer, that's a part we don't really talk about, we don't really think about with the Apostle Paul. 
But if you ever read through these 13 documents that, you, that he wrote, you will be absolutely stunned if you have this filter on at how often he refers to prayer. How often he talks about praying for these people he's writing to. How often he instructs them to pray. How often he instructs them to pray for others and himself. How often he not only tells them that he's praying for them, he tells them what he's praying for them, and sometimes even writes out the prayers he has for them. All throughout. We could spend the rest of our time just reading through all the things that Paul wrote about prayer, and it would fill our whole time today. I mean, for instance, when, when he's talking to the church in Ephesus in, in this in this. Uh, letter uh, we call Ephesians, at the end of that, he's talking about how our life is, is not a battle against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual warfare. And with that, he, he goes into the whole armor of God, and some of us were raised with this. You know, put on the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the feet shod with the, with the readiness of the gospel and the shield of faith by which you can extinguish the, the fiery darts of the enemy. And then he gets to this crescendo at the end. He says, and put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You're fully uh, armored up here with the armor of God. And at the, all of that, when he says, your battle is not against flesh and blood, put on this armor. At the end of it, he says these words, and... Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You see this? He comes back to this just in this one thing. This is how you, all the time, in all different kind of ways, for all the people, just prayer has got to, you cannot read the writings of Paul and miss this, that for him, there was this, preeminence of prayer, that it was so important, that it was, it was something that, that he would come back to, that he would point his people to, that, that he would refer to over and over again. There were times that he would do entire paragraphs about prayer, but there were also these times where he would give these little prayer tweets. For instance, when he writes to the church uh, in Thessalonica, he says to them, pray without ceasing. Just a little catchy phrase, pray without ceasing. Always be praying without ceasing. When he writes Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. When he writes to the church in Philippi in the book of Philippians, he says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Over and over again, he talks about praying. He talks about instructing them to pray, showing them how to pray. He just continues again and again and again. And for Paul, it was not, it was not a legalistic obligation. He had spent many, many years in legalism. He, he wanted nothing to do with that. He began to discover that it was a connection to the relationship with the Father and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. It was this connection point. And so he would say, don't miss out on this. This is the life that I have for you. And he would tell churches that, and he would tell individuals that. The, the young Timothy was the man that he poured his life into. Just for years, he poured into this young man, Timothy. And he writes in these letters, and he says to Timothy, I urge, see the urgency, the, the intensity, I urge them first of all, the priority here, I urge them first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. He says, this is so important, Timothy. Everything else I've taught you, that's fine, but remember, prayer is preeminent in your life, in your ministry, in the kingdom of God. Of God. So as I was preparing for this message, my biggest struggle is, where do I go with Paul? 
Because he's got 13 documents that we could choose from, and all of them, he's talking about prayer, and, and, and how do I narrow this down? And I decided that I would focus on some prayers in the book of Ephesians. One of the reasons is because one of my favorite passages on prayer is in that book, and another is that he prays twice and then talks about it a third time at least. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today. Um, I want to give you a little, little background, not a lot, because I've done this before. If you want to know the backstory to the church in Ephesus, read Acts chapter 19, preferably not in the next 20 minutes or so, but read Acts chapter 19. It's an absolutely fascinating story. And in, in terms of history, what happens in Acts 19 happened roughly about AD 54, which is when in Roman history, when Claudius, who was the emperor, who by the way had married his niece, his wife, his niece, killed him, poisoned him. Note to self, don't marry your niece. So Claudius is killed by his wife, and Nero, you've heard that name before, Nero becomes emperor, which becomes very interesting in the Roman Empire and for Christianity. Nero becomes emperor. That all happened in 54. At the same time that's all happening in Rome, Paul goes to Ephesus, and there he begins to bring the message of Jesus Christ. Ephesus, if you'll remember, is a, is a center point for pagan worship, for idolatry. The, the temple to Artemis of Ephesus was there, and people from all the surrounding nations would come and worship Artemis. So there was this idolatry, paganism, um, the, uh, the secular humanism, the hedonism that went along with, with her, this goddess of motherhood, and all of the things that went with that. that was, Ephesus was really the epicenter of worship of Artemis. And he comes in with this message about Jesus Christ. And they hear it, and they're transformed, they're, they're converted, they're, they're changed. And he spends two years with them as he plants this church. And as is often the case with Paul, he then leaves and he travels around to other areas. And a few years later, he's arrested, and uh, some of the Jewish folks in Jerusalem want to kill him. And he's kept as a, as a captive um, at, a, at a place called Caesarea uh, Mar Mar Maritima. It's right on the, on the Mediterranean Sea, okay, by the water, okay. He's there, and as they want to take him back to Jerusalem, he says, as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. He had that right. And Festus, who was the king of, of the area, says, listen, you want to go to talk Caesar? We'll send you to Caesar. So they ship him off to Rome. That's an amazing trip. He gets to Rome, and he's held. Not like in stocks and chains and handcuffs and a cell. He's detained, but he has some freedom. But for two years, he's detained in Rome. He can't leave, but he's stuck in Rome. While he's in Rome, this is about 61, uh, AD 61, he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And in this letter, in uh, maybe two-thirds of the way through chapter 1, there's this prayer that he prays. And at the end of chapter 3, there's this other prayer that he prays. John White, in his book, um, Daring to Draw Near, says, I think they're the same prayer. It's just that he got sidetracked in the middle, followed this squirrel, this theological squirrel down a rabbit hole, and then he comes back, which kind of gives me some hope because I've been known to do that a time or two in my life. So, so he, he, he does these prayers in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. 
Going into the beginning of the prayer in chapter 1, he talks about the incredible grace of God, that we've been chosen before the foundations of the world. We've been adopted into his family. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Unbelievably good news. And then he starts off this way, for this reason. Remember that phrase. With all that he said, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, and we'll get to that. But what you see here is that ever since he heard about this, he hasn't stopped giving thanks. He hasn't stopped remembering. He keeps asking. What we see with Paul here is this perseverance in prayer. No shame here, but a show of hands. Have any of you ever prayed for someone for many, many years, and you just kind of get tired of praying for them? Because Anyone? Okay, a few of us. I, I'm that way. And maybe it's a, a friend, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, and you just pray and it just doesn't seem like there's any change. Paul says, I've been praying for you for a long time. I get that. I understand that. And so we see in him this perseverance in prayer. Little side note, rabbit trail. In Luke 18, Jesus tells us a parable. Before the parable, it says, and Jesus told this parable to them so that they would always pray and never give up. So Jesus understands. There's times when we get kind of weary in praying for someone over and over again. But Paul begins to pray for them. And one of the things I find is when I'm praying for someone or some situation over and over again, I kind of get in a rut. I kind of say the same thing over and over again. And this is why I think this prayer is maybe really helpful for some of us who've been praying for a loved one or a friend for a lot of years, and we just feel like we're just saying the same thing over and over again, because we can learn from Paul how he prayed for this church. And what we will find in this prayer is that when Paul prays for them, it goes beyond the just, just bless them, Lord. That, that's like the, the, you know, the, the catch prayer for all things. Just bless them, Lord. And that, that's what we do. Just, don't know what to pray? Oh, just bless them, Lord. Which typically means, you know, help them to have a good day and not die prematurely and be okay, relatively happy in life. Just, just bless them, Lord. You know how this works. Someone tells you about something they're going through, some difficulty, some surgery they're facing, some, some issue with a coworker, and you say to them, I'll be praying for you. And you walk away and you forget. Not because you're evil people because you're human. And you forget. And then the next time you see them, you're like, oh, I told them I was going to be praying for them. Bless them, Lord. Hey, how'd it go? I've been praying for you. Now, you're laughing because you've done that. I'm not laughing because I do it all the time. Bless them, Lord. Just bless them. I've been praying for you guys. Bless you. And that whole thing, just just bless them. Now, now listen to me. I know, and and Paul will say in, in, uh, in Philippians, pray about everything, that there is no request too small or insignificant that we can't pray about, and there's no prayer request too large or too significant that we should pray about everything. But so often, our prayers for each other and even our prayer requests, while they're valid, stay right on the surface and are really, really not that deep. You know, we we pray, their sinuses would clear up, that's important. That's good. Pray for their mother-in-law. Yeah, absolutely. Pray that they pass that test. Pray that they make that sale. 
Pray that they have a good day. Pray that they find a parking spot. Those are all valid prayers. But what we find with Paul is that his prayer for them is far deeper, and maybe we could learn a thing or two about this. So this is what he says. I keep asking, on and on, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, more than just one who can provide a parking space, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's more than just have a nice day. So I'm praying that God does something in you. Remember who he's praying for. These people have been steeped in paganism. They have been steeped in idolatry. They have been steeped in Greek mythology and worship of idols. They've been steeped in a very hedonistic culture. From childhood, that's what their parents did and taught them. That's what their grandmother did and taught them. That's all they've ever known. These are not Awana kids. They didn't have a Young Life group. They weren't a part of Fellowship of Christian Gladiators. They didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have any of that. And so he's saying, you've got to have a 180-out degree understanding of life, of spirituality, your belief system, your values, your morals. Everything has got to be completely polar opposite from everything you've ever known. And that's going to take a work of the Lord. So I pray. I pray that there would be this understanding, this spirit of revelation that you would, you would get it. That it would, it, would, it would make sense to you. And he, as he prays for them along this line, um, he, you need to understand why he's praying that for them. Now hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in a minute. When we began talking about this whole emphasis on prayer, having people praying and fasting, uh, doing prayer vigils, having prayer blanket everything, and having everyone have a prayer life revitalized, our pastors were meeting, talking about this, and Pastor Randy asked a question. He said, you know, we talk about all this prayer, but to what end? I, I said, what, what do you mean? He said, what is the end game? What is the result? Why is it, yeah, granted, prayer is important. Why is it that we want a greater vitality of prayer in our people and in our church? Well, to what end? Why would we do that? Which was a great question. And Paul, as he prays for the church in Ephesus, Paul answers that question for us. He says, I, I pray that you would have a spirit of, of understanding and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the why. And that's why we're doing this. So that we may know him better. Notice he doesn't say that they would know more about him. It's not just knowledge of, about. He says, I want you to know him. Not just know about him, I want you to, to know him. I don't want you to just be filled with answers so you make it to the state finals in the Bible quizzing contest. I don't want it just be so that you, in the sword drill, you know how to get to the book of Obadiah quickest. I don't want you to just know about God and spiritual things. I want you to know him. Because Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 13, knowledge puffs up. You get all filled with pride if you're all filled with knowledge. In fact, when he would say in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, when I was in your midst, I resolved to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. He had all kinds of knowledge. He says, I don't want to flatter you with my wisdom and my knowledge. I want to point to Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want you to know him. And that's the why of this whole emphasis, is that we would know him better. Now, one of the things that we want to provide for you, uh, even today, as you go out, is this Pray First booklet. And in this booklet, uh, there's some, some uh, stuff that, you know, just kind of some tools for prayer. 
Um, but every single day, there's a verse, a, a little meditation. And when Pastor Bill and Pastor Randy and Elaine were putting this together, this idea of to know him better kind of became the focal point so that for the next seven weeks, each week, there's going to be one attribute of God that this is going to focus on. And each day, there's a scripture there about that attribute and maybe some suggestions for prayer and a place even for you to journal. Journal things that maybe you're learning or things that you've questioned or, or how you're praying. And, and can I just say this again? Please, 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 please. Don't let this become a, a source of legalism for you. You miss a day, and you're like, oh, I'm afraid someone's going to pick it up and look, and they're going to see blanks that aren't filled in. Or just relax. Just pick it up and start again. Don't let it be legalism. We just want to know him better. So pick one of these up uh, on your way out. There's, there's uh, enough for, for everyone to have one. It's not, not one of those one-per-family type deals, but that we would know him better. And then Paul goes on, and he prays this. Next verse, please. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, this is kind of interesting because it sounds like poetic metaphor, which, granted, it is. But I think there's something far deeper than that. Because for Paul, he gets this on a personal level. I mentioned that he had a dramatic conversion experience. Read it for yourself in Acts chapter 9. He's on his way to Damascus, and he's struck by this light, blinding light. And with that, it's literally blinding light. He is blind now. And when Ananias goes to him, under God's uh, instruction, something like scales fell from his eyes. So that now his not only physical sight is restored, he was blind, but now he sees. I can see clearly now. The scales are gone, he's saying. Not only can he see physically, but now he sees spiritually like he's never seen before. It radically transformed his life. He sees everything in a different light. He understands things differently. It's an amazing thing. He says, I know how that changed me, and I'm praying that you don't have to have you know, this physical blindness. I'm praying that the scales that are on your eyes of your heart would be, would be enlightened, that they would open up and illuminate the truth about Jesus Christ and about who you are, that you would know. And not only that, that you, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because we spent the whole fall talking about hope. But you remember, biblical hope is not just wishful thinking. Biblical hope is that confident assurance in what God has said and who he is. And it's not just what we hope for, but who we hope in. And he says, and that's the life you are to live. It's the life that God has called you to. He's selected you for. He's adopted you into this, this life of hope, even in the difficulties and the frustrations and the hardships. And it would get very, very difficult for them with Nero as the emperor. But there is a hope, a living hope, as an anchor for the soul. And then he goes even further, and there's a little subtlety here. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, throughout the New Testament, our inheritance is talked about. The inheritance that will never perish, fade, or spoil. This inheritance that's kept for us in heaven. This inheritance that anything that this world or this life has to offer will pale in comparison to the inheritance that we have coming to us. The inheritance that cannot be taken from us. The inheritance that we will enjoy for all of eternity. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about his inheritance. 
And I never caught this until I heard a, a sermon from Pastor Timothy Keller, and he was preaching on this passage. And he talked about it's the inheritance that God has that can never be taken, that will never perish, spoil, or fade, that God will rejoice and enjoy for all of eternity, that anything of this created world pales in comparison to the inheritance that God has. And Paul says that inheritance, his inheritance, are you, the saints, his sons and daughters. You remember for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? It's us. He says, don't you understand, don't you see the value that you have? And he's just praying for them. He's, he's just praying that they, would, that they would know God better. He's praying that the eyes of their heart would be open so they could see and understand things, have the spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation. He's praying that they would, would grasp this hope and it would see them through all the difficulties. They would understand how valuable they are to the Heavenly Father, His very inheritance, and, 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 and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That is, this life is not ever meant for us to do it on our own strength. We have the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the Holy Spirit within us. We have his power to see us through the difficulties, to stand firm when it seems like our world's falling apart. We have his power to help us grow and become victorious in areas of temptation. We have his power to stand up against a culture that goes a different way and to live his way. We have this power. He says, and I pray that you would understand that and you would live in that. And this is where... John White says he sees a squirrel. He sees this theological squirrel, and he begins chasing it down this rabbit hole. It's like now he stops praying, and he starts explaining because his power isn't just hearsay. This is what he says. And, and <laughs> have you ever been where someone's praying, and then pretty soon you realize they're telling you a story, not talking to God? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Anyway, forget that. But Paul he stops praying and he starts going down this, he's like, power, yeah, yeah, yeah. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And this is not the end of the rabbit trail he runs down. He then goes into talking about how we are alive in Christ and his power. We are unified and we are one in Christ and his power. And it's not just the, the Jewish folks, it's the Gentiles as well, and how God has called them to it. Okay, another question. Have you ever been praying and finding yourself drifting in your mind, anyone at all? <laughs> You're in good company. Listen, if you get in trouble for that, say, hey, Paul did it too. Because he goes off for about a chapter and a half, and then it's almost like at the end of chapter three, he's like, oh, yeah, I was praying, wasn't I? So it's like, he's like, okay, as, okay, okay, so, sorry about that. Good stuff, hold on to that, but let's get back to the prayer. Chapter three, verse 14. Look at the opening words of this. Isn't this where he started? For this reason. Okay, okay, all right, now let's try this again. Start all over here. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Listen, we can pray for each other that we have a good day. 
We can pray that the sinuses clear up. We can pray that we find the car keys or the parking spot. We can pray for all those things. But maybe we ought to take our prayers a little deeper as well. Maybe we ought to be praying about an inner transformation that changes us. And God's work within us that's developing this character, the character of Christ. You see the depth of his prayer as he prays for them, and he just goes deeper. And, and, then, and then he gets to really the foundation of it all. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, like that this would be the foundation of your life. I mean, doesn't he write this in, in 1 Corinthians 13? doesn't matter what you say, how you can speak, what you know, what you do. If it doesn't come from this heart of love, it's all just a mess. It's, it's not worth anything. Isn't this the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us? Love the Lord, our, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. He says, this has got to be your life. This has got to be the foundation. I'm praying that everything you do is rooted and established in love. And again, that it's not just you digging deep and trying to love really, really hard. I'm praying that you would understand the love that has been given to you, the love that, that surrounds you, the love that you can, you can never exhaust and this is so, so beautiful. I'm praying that you be rooted in established love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to understand that the magnitude of God's love for you is an amount that can never, ever be used up. It's inexhaustible. And this love, this is why he prays that you would have the power to understand this, this love that goes beyond comprehension. He says, it, it transcends your cognitive capacity to even understand it. There's no way you can know how big God's love is for you. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved them, have loved you with an everlasting love. In Romans where it says, not even death, I'm convinced, not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. He says, I want you to just be overwhelmed with the magnitude of this love. It's not just you trying to love really hard. It's living in the love of God, dwelling in that love, and passing that love on in everything you do to understand this kind of love. And he says, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What if we began praying that for each other? Praying that God would fill you to the measure of all the fullness of him. His character, his word, his truth, his power, that you would reflect him more and more, be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, when he prays for them, it's not just the what, but the who. He prays not just what they might want or what they might need or what they might wish for or what they might hope for or what they might request or what they might ask. Those are all fine. But he prays about who God is and who they are in Christ and who God has designed them to be and who they're becoming and who they can be. He prays for something deeper than that. And at the end of it all, in this prayer, he says, now to him who is able to do, look at this, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I know this talks about the ability of God that he's able, that there's no request too big for him. I get that. But I think sometimes we read this and we think, this is like a really good Christmas morning. Like we get to open a lot of answers to prayer. Like, oh, there's more under the tree type of deal. But what if? What if the immeasurably more is stuff we never thought to ask? Maybe it's immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine because our mind doesn't even go there. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. And maybe God knows some things we don't know. And God says, you have no idea. I'm answering prayers you're not even praying because I know that there is something deeper and more meaningful and more full and rich and significant for you than just clear sinuses in a good parking spot. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And as we embark on this, that really is our desire, that we would know him more, that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, and that he would do in our midst, in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So there's some things. Every weekend, we're going to be looking at different prayer and prayers. And likewise, throughout this series, there's going to be some opportunities to be involved in praying for one another. We'll do a prayer vigil as we get closer to Easter. Um, at both of our campuses in Skagit and here in Bellingham, out in the commons, there's a prayer wall uh, inside of the link today. Uh, you may have been wondering, um, I don't know if I, oh yeah, you get one of these. You say, what's, what's that all about? Here's the whole concept of that, is that if you want, you can write out prayer requests, roll that up, put it in the prayer wall out here, and someone will pray for you. Here's another challenge for you. Some of you might want to just go and just take some of those and pray for them. Now listen, I'll tell you what it's not about. It's not about like, Oh, no, I don't want that one. Uh, no, nah, no, someone else can pray for that. No, no. If you want to pray for one another, take a couple of those, and it's not for gossip. Don't put it on Facebook. Hey, I heard that, you know. Just, just pray for them. We want to be praying for one another and praying that God would be at work in our lives, in our small groups. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Bill is, is uh, already giving out the questions for our small groups for this week about, you know, discussing these things in our small groups. Our Explorers League, uh, Children's Ministry, has a, a supplementary page uh, for this Pray First so that you can do these things as a family. You can pick that up today. This, as I talked about. On the website, there's a Pray First button. You click on that. It opens up a whole ton of resources. I mean, a lot of stuff there. And if you don't want to do this, you can even do that electronically uh, with that button on, online as well. We just want this to be something that every one of us participates in so that we will know him better and so that we will become people who are being filled to the fullness of God. See, here's the truth. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter your education or your income. It doesn't matter your gifts. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can sing. Not everybody can lead. It doesn't matter any of those things. But when it comes to prayer, prayer is truly equal opportunity. Every single one of us can pursue this and can be radically, dramatically transformed in our lives as we continue to pray. 
We've decided as a kind of the, the anchor verse of this entire series would be Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And what I want to do today as we close our time together is I want to ask you to stand. And as we close, this Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 prayer that Paul prayed, and we've kind of dissected it. I want to go back now, and I want to read them together and pray them over us as a church. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for being here today. If you like prayer, we'll have our prayer team here. You can utilize the prayer wall, pick up one of the Pray First uh, booklets on your way out, and I'll just do one of these. Bless them, Lord. Okay, there you go. You're out of here. I love you. We'll see you.